You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. All right, in Chalk Talk, it's the OBS's patented method for predicting the winner of the men's FIFA World Cup. Hey, have we ever led you wrong? And then we intercept a letter from Dear Prudence and respond to how you shut up an opera singer who's trying to turn your wedding into a gig. Plus two-minute drill, paint splashed on La Scala, and the Met gets hacked. Who says opera audiences aren't engaged? <laughs> You're engaged. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click follow. Apple Podcasts. Hit the plus sign. Send us a voice memo or just email us your hot takes about what we're talking about. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. Get the OBS beer coaster and the OBS lapel pin. Just for sharing your thoughts, Oliver Camacho, on the show tonight. I am on the show tonight. And <laughs> France is going to win this thing. <laughs> Matt Cummings, I, I think that's who you are. Am I right? Where, I don't even know. I'm I'm still at my last Christmas gig. That's that's where you can find my name. <laughs> it's great to see you again, buddy. Weston Williams. I've just been stuck in this closet this whole time while Matt was away. So if someone could let me out, that'd be great. You know that we're not. You know that we're not a video format anymore. That people can't see you in the closet, right? Okay, but everyone remembers the closet. <laughs> it, it was an iconic location. Iconic location. Six foot seven, curled up into a little ball amongst all my sweaters. You know, it's a high production value. And those are big value, sweaters. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're talking World Cup on the show later. Of course, England not in the semifinals. They lost to France. I'm going to get teased for this. I know by you three, but here's the thing: is that if you've been a fan of England as long as I have, oh why they they finally answered th- that big existential question, which is what if I give everything I have to my goal and it's still not enough, and that mm-hmm. is what England's performance uh, on Saturday afternoon Central Time was: is that England played the best they have played in this World Cup, and it still wasn't enough to beat the French. I cannot tell you how distressing that is. Just like an opera. That's what happens when you defund the NO. I know. Yeah. I know. We are seeing the effects of that defunding by the (laughs) Arts Council of England in ways we couldn't possibly have imagined. (laughs) Take it up with Camilla. (laughs) Let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. The semifinals of the 2022 Men's World Cup currently taking place in Qatar have been set. So we're going to predict with 100% accuracy which teams (laughs) move on to the final and who wins it all. How? I hear you mumble into your beer. Why? By using the OBS's trademarked opera prediction metrics, of course. It's so far infallible. So we four on the show, we each take a semifinalist country, we look at the soccer matchups, and we make our case for victory. So it's based on opera metrics, including composers, repertoire, well-known singers, prominent opera houses and companies, operas about that country, and a whole bunch of wild cards, too. Now, our referee for the whole thing is OBS co-host Emeritus Giovanna Jacques. Giovanna, it is co-founder. so to have you back on the show. I'm so happy to be here. This is the thing. As soon as she knew that she didn't have to haul her butt up to Evanston to do a live radio show, she was like, I'm in. (laughs) Honestly, a fair concern. 
That's true. I literally <laughs> said, do I have to be in Evanston? If not, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right down to it. So the first side of the final four bracket is Croatia versus Argentina. Who is repping Croatia? That would be me. I'm and, living the middle European life. And who is repping Argentina? That's me. Argentina, baby. So the first semifinal, Matt, you're going to go first, representing Croatia against Weston's Argentina. Croatia. Picture it now. The the <laughs> stunning vistas over the Dalmatian Sea or whatever. Uh <laughs> Europe, the European vacationer's favorite hotspot for a summer travel, maybe not so much for opera, but but this uh, this power player punches above its weight class. Don't you worry. It features the <laughs> Croatian National Theater, which was established in Zagreb going all the way back to 1870. Uh, Croatia mm -hmm. at that point was part of the Austrian Empire. And so uh, much of its uh, musical history mimics some of like mimics the Czech Republic in that the, the Croatian operas don't really get performed very much today outside of the Balkans, uh, but they do exist. There's a patriotic historical opera by Evan Zeich called uh, Nikola Shubic, <laughs> which really, if you think about Household it, names. You know, but uh, just like La Battaglia di Legnano, are you trying to say that Verdi's galley <laughs> operas and his patriotic uh, didactic <laughs> manifesti are not worthy of study and consideration in the history of opera weston's trying to erase giuseppe Bay from italian i want the record to show also arrow the joker a bartered bride-esque pastoral by yakov gotovac which was performed a decent amount in german-speaking countries in the early to mid 20th century not so much since the second world war we're not really sure why uh but it both of those have been recorded so uh you croatian opera lovers out there you know where you know where to find your goods but where <laughs> where this team really shines is in its front line where you've got singers like Max Emanuel Cencic, the Croatian-born countertenor and former Wiener Zingerknob, uh, who is one of the highest flying, both literally and figuratively, countertenors out there today since getting his start in Les Affluissants and performing in basically every major house mm -hmm. today that does Baroque music at this point. He's also the artistic director of the Bayreuth Baroque Opera Festival, the only Bayreuther Festspiele <laughs> that matters to Oliver Camacho. <laughs> You've also got singers like uh, who who may have been Austrian nationalistically, but were of Croatian heritage, like my Viennese institution, Zena Juranac, definite, definitively the best Octavian on record on that Kleiber recording with Hilda Guden. If you haven't listened to it, um, I think that maybe you're a biased judge. <laughs> and then there's the grand dame of them all, Zinka Milanov, the definitive dramatic soprano at the Metropolitan Opera in the first half of the 20th century. She owned the Verdi repertoire there for almost 30 years and is on truly too many iconic recordings to count. Uh, and that is, in a nutshell, the opera of Croatia. Holy moly, Matt. That was, yikes. Look out, Argentina. Okay, Giovanna, considering the play here by Croatia, we turn it over to Weston's Argentina for the response. Mm. Argentina, you know, is the sleeper powerhouse of the world of opera. I don't just use a, I use the, because this is something that actually does happen. And not just because, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for the bits in here in this episode, but whenever I like, uh, uh, I, Argentina, Argentina periodically comes up 
in my like searches when I'm looking for something new and interesting, Argentina is often the country that pops up. I don't think that's ever happened with Croatia. I'm sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry that, for you. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, first of all, there's there are at least a dozen decent sized opera companies in Argentina, which is pretty solid considering the size and relative wealth of the country. Um, most of those are in Buenos Aires. And the reason for that is because uh, Buenos Aires is a home for a lot of immigrants and a lot of economic activity. And it has been for a really long time, especially Italian immigrants. Uh, when I start firing off, rapid firing a bunch of singers, you'll hear a lot of Italian names, and that's why. It's because Italy was importing some of its best talent um, to Argentina, and even in some cases training its singers in Argentina before they went back to Italy, which I find very interestingly, very interesting. Uh, one of the uh, best places to go, not just in Argentina, but in the world for opera, is of course the Teatro Colón, which is in Buenos Aires. And the reason for that is it has some of the best opera acoustics in the world. And I I, I didn't actually know that for some reason. Um, yeah, that's true. It, it, there was actually a study uh, in 2020, which was run by an acoustics expert. Um, and he uh, he he interviewed a lot of conductors, musicians, other experts, and they found that it was the number one place in terms of acoustics for opera in Whoa. the whole world, Whoa. which I thought was really cool, really interesting. Um, and you, and you know, it's been a, a, a powerhouse in, in, in the area for a while. I mean, if you do any singing in South America, you are going to be at the Teatro Colón eventually if, you're, if you're, your voice is important enough. Um, it also has a, a lot of very interesting music that it has written for itself. Obviously, it got a later start than a lot of countries. Um, it really didn't uh, have its first native-born composer uh, whose name is on here somewhere. Uh, I can, I'll find it in the second round. That's how confident I am. Oh, oh here we man. go. Um, <laughs> uh, but he was born in 1849, whatever his name was. Uh, and if you consider that was the first native-born Argentinian opera composer, and the fact that they have had a presence in opera as an art form consistently mm -hmm. ever since then, it's really genuinely impressive. In terms of singers, you've got Jose Cura, who was also conductor, Marcello Alvarez, uh, countertenor Franco Fagioli. We got a couple of mezzos, Bernarda Fink, Daniela Mack, Alicia Nafe. Uh, we got soprano Maria Cristina Kerr, Gabriela Ponchinki, uh, who is also a pop singer and actually kind of thrives in both genres. I'd never heard of her before. I feel like sometimes when you get those crossover singers, you're like, mm, you're more of a pop singer, but she's got legit chops in both. Uh, and you also have singers from earlier eras who are pre-recording eras, but had really big careers. We've got uh, Helena uh, uh, Arismendi, Kina Spani, Delia Regal. They had international careers way back at the turn of the 20th century, which was really around the time that the, the Teatro Colón gets big. Um, this is not just a sleeper country. This is the sleeper country. And I, I'm to the point where I am actually holding back telling you about some of these composers because I am that confident that Argentina will make it to the next round if Giovanna knows what she's talking about. All right. The whistle is blown at the end of full time for that match. We're going to turn it over to OBS co-host, co-founder Emeritus Giovanna Jacques for the decision on this semifinal. Oh man, this is a tough one. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm sorry, Matt. 
I, I gotta give it to Argentina. Oh, you know, yes. But, but as, why, Javon? Give us a reason why. I have to give it to Argentina because, listen, first of all, we all know that that soccer or uh, football, as we'll say, <laughs> uh, and uh, sonic science are very intimately mm. tied. Mm. And for that reason, this whole bit of the Buenos Aires Opera House just really they, you know that's proof that they know what they're doing they're into the details i'm all about details and details cross over into the soccer team so here we are argentina if, you know if i've said it once i've said it a million times a new argentina the voice of the people <laughs> cannot be and will not be and must not be denied i wrote that just now <laughs> yeah, yeah. And nobody here has to cry for Argentina because it's going to the next round. <laughs> wow, you just another phrase coined out of nowhere. Dale Maria, si nueve llantos, son todo el pardo misterio que había que ver. Que lo que intento de espiga que vas a hacer, que dura rama celeste te va a crujir. That was just a little bit of Maria de Buenos Aires, the quintessential tango opera written for radio by the great uh, uh, the great composer Astro Piazzolla, a very Argentinian opera in many ways. And I'll talk more about him in the next round that I just made it to. <laughs> Argentina into the final. The other semifinal in the men's 2022 World Cup is Morocco against France. Oliver, you and I are in this one. I'm representing Morocco. You're representing France. We're going to toss a coin. You tell me how the coin lands. Do you want to go first or second? I think France goes first uh, because this is this is sort of a David versus Goliath situation here. <laughs> I mean, France France is an institution. It has its own language that you know a third of all the most performed operas are performed in. Paris alone has over 20 venues where you can attend opera. And then you include cities like Lille and uh, the uh, Opera House of Nice and of Avignon and of Toulouse uh, and of Marseille. Uh, there are plenty of places to enjoy opera on a very high level in France. And that's not even talking about the operas themselves or the great artists. I, I can just narrow it down to artists who are performing literally today, uh, like <laughs> friend of the show, Benjamin Bernheim, who just received a rave review for his Met debut uh, in Rigoletto. Uh, Sabine Devier and Stéphane Degout, who were both named Singers of the Year by the International Opera Awards. And probably the hottest conductor on the scene right now, Raphael Pinchon, uh, whose group Pygmalion is easily one of the most stylish uh, orchestras uh, doing all sorts of music, but especially uh, 18th century repertoire. So we've got all the bases covered with France. It feels like we're we're actually arrogant about it. And we just see Morocco as like of course a you're arrogant, you're French. As a fly. <laughs> That's just a nuisance okay. right now. <laughs> Yikes. All right. I like I like the resume. I, I, I see that. But look, let's be honest. 
Opera in France is about the past. You want to talk about the opera of the future, you're going to be talking about Morocco. You're going to be swapping your baked brie for a tagine, my friend. <laughs> Let's just go over some basics. Morocco is the first African or Arab country ever to make it to the actual men's World Cup semifinals. The capital mm. is Rabat. The largest city, Casablanca. You've heard of that one. It's been independent since 1956. Now, it's true. We'll always have Casablanca. We will always will. It's true that... Uh, on operabase.com, the last public performance of an opera in Morocco was in 2019. It was a production of Tosca in Rabat. This is about the future, and I'll tell you why. Let's look at the singers. David Sereno, he's under 40. He's a Moroccan-French baritone, and he runs the Royal Opera of Morocco, which is in Casablanca, which just opened on November 22nd of this year. Wow. The mission of the Royal Opera is to develop and promote opera within the Kingdom of Morocco, to ensure the training of future Moroccan opera singers who perform the greatest operas, and very importantly, to create lyrical works in the rich Moroccan dialect commonly known as Darija. So we mm. are looking at the future and we are drilling down here, not for oil, but for opera gold. Get this, the Grand Théâtre de Rabat was designed by Zaha Hadid, the famous um, female architect. You want to look at like the future, get a look at that opera house. And last but not least, who could forget Dominic Argento's famous opera postcard from Morocco with a libretto by John <laughs> Donahue. The future is here and now the future is Morocco. All right. I mean, George's research didn't have to be quite as long as Oliver's, so, you know. <laughs> All right, Giovanna, the whistle is blown on this semifinal. Plucky little Morocco, can it come away with the upset? In true French fashion, mm. I am not going to apply the same logic that I applied in the last <laughs> round. <laughs> because, frankly... I don't need to. I'm French. So I'm going to say Morocco. And here's why. Amazing. Yeah. One, uh, Morocco was a French colony. And I believe the time of reckoning has come and the colonies need to have their moment. So I feel like it is my duty as a French person to sit back <laughs> and let them shine. Two, I'm so tired of the past. Aren't we tired of saying the recent pandemic, the recent this, the fall of this, <laughs> the past of this. Let's, let's just let's, let's look towards the future. So I'm going with George and I'm going for Morocco and let's let's do it. Morocco. Wow. little clip there from postcard from morocco dominic argento and john shocker Donahue's. ultimate shocker i mean that's like <laughs> crazy er, that's this like is an eric, upset people that's You're like eric zamour coming through to win the presidency <laughs> that's what's happened on this <laughs> yeah, that show was, that was scary <laughs> so into the final weston's argentina 
and my Morocco. And I'm going to go first on this. And I'm going to I'm going to stay on the same beat, which is this is like, what is the future of opera in Argentina? Because I, I can genuinely want to know. Do you know what I'm saying? Is it a <laughs> is it a brand new opera house that opened two weeks ago? Is it creating lyrical works in a Moroccan dialect, the Rija we talked about? That would be is very it, odd in Argentina. Yes, that would be strange. Is it this amazing new theater that was it's five years old that was designed by a prominent female architect like that's what i'm putting out on the line is that folks in morocco could be a country where opera is really going to start to develop weston over to you well it, it is i i do sympathize and absolutely see uh the points about morocco and because i it, don't need you patting my head man Come on. <laughs> well i was just gonna say because argentina in many ways is in the same boat except they had a little bit of a head start um because they're you know uh, morocco achieved its independence in 1856 uh argentina got its independence from spain in the middle of the 19th century uh, I don't have the exact date on me, but it was also a colonial power that is, you know, throwing off some of those chains, even still to this day, as we see around the world, uh, a big recurring theme in world politics, if I do say so myself. Um, but I do think the exciting thing about Argentina is the fact that the music of Argentina has already fused with opera in a really exciting way. Morocco, I hope one day will get there itself, but it is not there yet. Argentina has a really great tradition of of these different musical influences, right? It has the colonial Spanish music, which brings over the uh, uh, some of that uh, European flavor. It's got those Italian immigrants I mentioned earlier, bringing in their sense of bel canto and singing styles. It also has the indigenous peoples of the Americas and their music that they're bringing to the table. The, also the music of enslaved Africans, which were very prominent. And you see these kinds of musical movements bubbling up in Argentina all the time. Probably the most famous fusion of all of those is the tango, especially under the uh, conducting, uh, the uh, composing pen of Astro Piazzolla, who we already heard a little bit of a clip from. Uh, really combining all those influences into something that is genuinely exciting and genuinely like well thought out and interesting. It's got those um, those rhythms with everything that you could want from jazz, from uh, from classical music. It's really really neat, and it's no it's no wonder that you have all of these great uh, examples of musical figures from Argentina. We mentioned the singers already, but we also have people like Daniel Barenboim. Argentinian, uh, Argentinian, excuse me, composer. Um, you also have. He's uh, a conductor. No, your team. Uh, he also he also composes sometimes. I meant to say conductor, but it's still. Uh, and he also has a very strong predecessor in in the form of the conductor Ettore Panizza, who was an extremely influential conductor in the early 20th century. Who was best friends with like Toscanini, admired by Puccini, Strauss, uh, and this is a century ago. Keep in mind, like I said, the first native-born Argentinian composer whose name was Francisco Hargreaves um, was literally born in 1849. And this is already the level of talent they have in about 50 years, you know? There's Truly the final impressive. whistle. <laughs> I didn't even mention Osvaldo <laughs> Galiov, Alberto Ginastera. Uh, I mean, it, it you, is- You just wanted to Thank go to God for stoppage time. Felipe yeah. Boero, <laughs> Zenon Roland. I got more, I got more. 
All right, Giovanna, put us out of our misery. Let us know who's going to win the Men's World Cup by picking a winner between Argentina and Morocco, purely based on their operatic prowess. Ah, this is really hard. I actually, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I went into this with a little bit of a bias towards Morocco. Weston really sold Argentina mm, yes. to me. Mm-hmm. He really oh, sold yeah. Argentina to me. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say... And what was the selling uh, point? Uh, the research. <laughs> <laughs> it's always George's downfall, honestly. <laughs> Name four no. handle operas. <laughs> uh. The research and I think also the fact that there's such an am- amalgamation or such a, a melting pot of different styles in the music, which I think is refreshing. And so both countries in their own right have... an eye towards the future and something to refresh the world of opera. I think Morocco is the underdog and I want to root for it so badly, but I also want, I I want to be on the side that's going to win. So I'm going to pick Argentina. (laughs) You should have picked France then. (laughs) All right. We'll we'll see. This is our patented method. It has yet to fail us. I, 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 congratulations to Argentina. Let's hear a little bit of Jose Cura, uh, one of their uh, most accomplished artists, uh, conductor, composer, and singer, uh, doing a little bit of Puccini. I felt like this was going to be the repeat, just like with, um, you know, Emmanuel Macron somehow mm-hmm. winning a second term, which hadn't been done since Jacques Chirac and, you know, getting through that nail biter of the runoff between him and Marine Le Pen. I thought that's where we we're going to go with this. I was prepared to make that argument, but alas, <laughs> uh, it's Argentina. And I think that you, uh, you, who knows, we, we should probably put some money on this for the actual uh, World Cup. By the time you're listening to this podcast, we will know who the finalists are, right, George? That's correct. We will, yes. So we, could all, we could all have eggs on our face. It could be Croatia versus France. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, you don't win anything, Giovanna. We just get to see you again, which is yeah, you, marvelous. You have to pay up if you're wrong, but that's really the only consequence for us. That's that's fine. George had prepared me for that. Giovanna Jacques, <laughs> back on the show after many years. So great to see you again. Thanks for hanging out with us. Good to see you. Thanks. Again, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. All you have to do is click follow on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. You just hit the plus sign. Thanks again to the fabulous Giovanna Jacques. I mean, what a crime that she was never on the uh, on the TDO. It was like, oh my gosh, we, the we would have would have been through the roof, Oliver. <laughs> she just shows up and like unfurls her hair and puts on some lipstick, and all of a sudden, <laughs> none of us can talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
the fantasy football update from our group with Opera Philadelphia. Right now, the OBS, we're going to lose this week. We're going to be 9-5, and five, but we're still in first in the Chamber Opera Division. There's two divisions, the Grand Opera and the Chamber Opera. We're looking really good. Tobias and I, 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 I think we have a shot at that belt. I really want that belt. Is and the want... Chamber Opera belt smaller than the Grand Opera no, belt? No, there's just one belt for the whole thing, but I want Larry <laughs> Brownlee... I want Larry Brownlee to fly to Chicago with the belt and give it to Absolutely. Me. That's content. Slate.com recently had a letter to its agony aunt, which is called Dear Prudence. And the gist of it was that uh, the writer said, my fiance's mother is driving me up the wall. Her latest move inserting herself into our upcoming wedding by demanding that we allow her to perform a five-minute aria from Puccini's Turandot right before the first dance. (laughs) Okay, so it turns out this mother-in-law is a classically trained opera singer who's been off the stage for over two years. Her ego is bruised by the lack of fanfare and recognition, but this fiancé doesn't know how to stand up to his own mom, so he agreed to perform. So the writer says, my husband says... It's the least we can do, given that his family is paying for the catering, and he insists that the aria will, quote, be over before you know it. Five minutes is a long time if it's not good. <laughs> yeah, the woman says, look, I don't want to be rude. There's no way that I'm letting this happen. Prudence, please advise. Hey, Prudence, we're going to we're gonna get our arms in here, and the OBS boys are going to give some advice. So my first question here is, if this is a five-minute aria from Toronto, there's really only one option that it could be, and it's in Questa Regia, which for those of you who may have forgotten, is about an ancestor who killed anyone who wanted to marry her. So It's a little on the nose. I I that's what that was my thought exactly like what are you singing Nessendorma like I, I I why would you pick Turandot my question is what you sh- you you obviously can't talk her out of this you can't be like you're not going to sing uh, in Questa Regia for my wedding but you can say I love the idea here's an alternative right. What should be sung at this at this op at this uh, uh, wedding that well, will Weston, be appropriate? You're, you're the getting occasion? married, Weston. So what are you? Gonna yeah, what's pick? your mom singing at your wedding? I mean, <laughs> uh, I was thinking maybe uh, maybe one of the extended recits from uh, from uh, Zeus and Alida, uh, the opera by Stefan Volpe, um, but that that might be specific to me, and I'm not honestly sure that she has the range for it, so it might not apply to this situation. You're gonna have to go to the backup. The um, uh, Stockhausen Donnerstag Auslicht. Yeah, that, that one's a, a real toe tapper, I think, you know? <laughs> Is that the part I mean, where the helicopter lands? It's, exactly. It's, <laughs> okay. it's either so, that or the hokey pokey. I'm, I'm going to give the real advice here. Mm. Uh, I think you have got to compromise and split the difference and let mom sing Omeo Babino Caro. It's not that high. It's mm, a tune mm-hmm, that everybody mm-hmm. everybody loves. And people will feel like they're at the royal wedding, which worked out great. Uh, was it the Sarah Ferguson wedding that that was sung at, or was that the D- Charles and Diana wedding? That Charles was and Diana at? was "Let the Bright Seraphim." Oh, okay, yeah. So this is the Fergie, the Fergie uh, anthem, and it's also um, that parental. And we all thing. know how yeah. that wedding turned out. Yeah, yeah. Both and, both marriages whoops. famously great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, you think of a room with a view. You think of Carrie Takanawa. You think of the '80s. You think of Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, it's great, and you know there is. Uh, a line in that aria that's about, you know, daddy, let me marry him. 
So yeah. that sort it sort of fits. Yeah. Or you can even sing the text that everyone thinks it is and sing "O mio bambino caro." <laughs> you could. I mean, honestly, you know, one thing I, I was thinking when I read this story, like this has some um, Electra complex overtones to it, oh, perhaps. Gosh. And then I was like, why not a little Electra just to spice things up? You know? Yeah, bring in the full orchestra. You're good. To, it's it's <laughs> fine. I mean, honestly, I think the goal should be to destroy your mother-in-law's voice permanently so she can never do it to you again. There you go. Yeah. I was going to say just don't use opera ever at a wedding unless, wow. of course, opera people wow. are getting married. Wow. And then, yeah, use national and anthems instead. So. You know, exactly. <laughs> so let us know what your advice would be uh, for this letter writer here. You can write to us or you can send us a voice memo. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. Get a little bit of OBS merch. Two-minute drill is right now. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up, everybody. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. In an open letter on Facebook, Agma has alleged that Central City Opera is guilty of everything from, quote, public body shaming to sexual harassment to overt threats of retaliation for union activity. The Artist Union says that multiple attempts were made to inform the board of these allegations. Central City Opera has responded, quote, We take great pride in our long-standing AGMA membership and the collaboration to create a fair and equitable working environment for our artists. We take the allegations presented very seriously and remain committed to the negotiating process with AGMA in order to reach a mutually beneficial resolution. In an op-ed for The Guardian, Ukrainian culture minister Oleksandr Tukachenko argues for putting a temporary halt on Russian art. Quote, Russian culture has been used by members of the Kremlin to justify their terrible war. We're not talking about canceling Tchaikovsky, but rather about pausing performances of his works until Russia ceases its bloody invasion. The Teatro alla Scala was vandalized by climate protesters hours before the premiere of the 2022 season when they threw blue and pink paint on the Opera House's columns to promote more urgent action to curb climate change. The paint was quickly removed, and five people were detained by authorities. I'm in. <laughs> Last week, the Metropolitan Opera was the victim of a cyber attack that took down its website and box office, which both remain inaccessible at the time of this recording. The opera company's ticketing system typically handles about $200,000 a day in sales this time of year. LincolnCenter.org has stepped up to the plate to handle ticketing while the Met is offline. An article in Van Magazine details incidents of sexual harassment and misconduct in the Juilliard Composition Department, mainly involving composers Christopher Rouse and Robert Beezer. Quote, there are still people teaching there that have this tainted history, said former student and staff member Vivian Fung. We have to shed light on the fact that this occurred. We have to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Bass baritone Ervin Trott has been named the Wiener Staatsoper's latest Kammerzinger. The award was presented at the end of a performance of Tosca earlier this month. Schrott said, receiving the most prestigious title in the highest art form that combines all of the elements, words, music, drama, dance, goes beyond any possible words. I think the word he's searching for might be Gesamtkunstwerk. Bless you. <laughs> the Black British Classical Foundation, with the support of Welsh National Opera, has announced the winners of the 2022 Voice of Black Opera competition. 
the Samuel Coleridge Taylor Award was given to South African tenor Thando Majandana, and the main prize, the Sir Willard White Trophy, was handed to British Jamaican soprano Rachel Duckett. Four teams have been named for Opera America's 2022 Director Designer Prize, which has a track record for launching careers. Among the winners is sister of friend of the show Emily Polgarelts, director Allison Polgarelts, whose team is working on a concept for Strauss's Zalame. Winning teams are awarded monetary prizes to develop their concepts further and present at Opera America's 2023 conference. In trade news, the San Francisco Conservatory of Music is set to acquire a management company Askinus Holt. It will now join the institution's stable of companies, including Opus 3 Artists and the classical label Pentatone. The Royal Swedish Opera has named Swedish-American conductor Alan Gilbert Royal Court Kapellmeister. Gilbert, who currently holds the post of Music Director of Royal Swedish Opera, said, I'm deeply honored and grateful for the appointment as Court Kapellmeister from His Majesty the King. My musical work in Sweden is close to my heart, and I am so happy to receive such recognition. Countertenor Jochen Kowalski has announced that a performance of Monteverdi's Coronation of Popea at the Staatsoper Unter den Linden would be his last, retiring at the age of 68. A statement from the company called Kowalski, quote, a pioneer of countertenor singing. On the disabled list, baritone Artur Ruczynski has withdrawn from the Met's production of Giordano's Fedora due to an emergency spinal procedure. Exit stage right, Austrian soprano Gabriella Lechner has passed away at the age of 61. Lechner had an eclectic career that ranged from Mozart to Henze and was featured in a number of television and radio broadcast performances. John Ayler has passed away at age 73. He was an American lyric tenor who performed in concerts, recitals, and operas, and was particularly known for his interpretations of the works of Mozart, Rossini, Donizetti, Bellini, and Handel. And on this day, December 12th, in 1824, it was the first performance of Mercandante's Erode Ossia Mariana in Venice, in 1857, American soprano Lillian Nordica was born. In 1902, it was the first performance of Rimsky-Korsakov's opera Kashi the Immortal, which premiered in Moscow. In 1910, Algerian baritone Louis Noguera was born. In 1920, it was the first performance of Wunderkind Erich Korngold's opera Die Tote Stadt, premiering both in Hamburg and Cologne simultaneously. And that's your two-minute drill. From the uh, operetta Le Postillon de Longemot, the title track, the rondo, Le the Postillon, titular Longe... Postillon <laughs> de Longemot, sung by the late John Ayler with the Monte Carlo Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, the studio recording. Wow, this one hits close to home. This is a, a singer that I grew up listening to. Um, that Semele recording with Kathleen Battle yeah. uh, is iconic. Uh, he recorded some John, uh, some uh, Franz Liszt songs back in the day, which are stunning. Um, there is a Pearl Fishers with Barbara Hendricks and Gino Quilico. 
There's uh, a Messiah from Toronto, also with Kathleen exactly Battle. That was Battle. one of the first uh, classical recordings I ever listened to when I was starting to learn about classical singing. It's a great and, Every Valley. And a lesser known recording, I think it's on the Delos label, Delos label, is him singing some old fashioned American ballads like uh, The Green Eyed Dragon and like The Lost Chord. Uh, those like romantic, you know, whatever parlor ish art songs from the early or the, the late from the Victorian era, I guess you would call it, you know. Uh, so sweet, such such a sensitive artist before, you know, we get our Rockwell Blakes and our Juan Diego Flores. Is, this was a voice, this is the type of voice that you would hear singing that repertoire. Didn't have the same thrust, you know, in the upper register as those singers had, but there was an elegance and a sweetness to his sound, which is very, very unique. Quite a few big stories this week. I guess we can start at the top of the drill. So, Agma and Central City going at it. Just nobody's <laughs> nobody's happy. I'm, oh, I'm absolutely gonna, not. Uncle Uncle George is going to take away some toys if these two people can't. Uh, <laughs> these organizations can't behave. That's kind of the way that union neg- negotiations tend to go. But I like. I mean, call me a, a a bleeding heart lefty, but like I usually think that the, that the unions tend to be more right than the companies when it comes to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just in yeah. terms of uh, what the business model is, and that it usually has to do with at least some manner of taking advantage of singers who are looking for resume credits. And um, we have found time and time and time and time again at company after company that really terrible things happen behind the scenes at these companies. And so for Central City Opera to come to the negotiating table with uh, a proposed collective bargaining agreement that removes protections for sexual harassment as they did, like there's no way that that could fly, nor should they be seeking it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, to give you a little bit of background on what this open letter is, originally it was a closed letter, uh, so to speak. Um, They sent, uh, uh, the the union sent this very large uh, email to uh, board members saying that over the past three weeks they had heard a, n- a number of allegations of sexual harassment and um, active union busting activities um, and uh, they they sent it and according to the union um, it has a at least a 70% red rate but none of them responded and there was not a response from Central City until this uh, until this letter went public Um and like like Matt said, this is kind of unfortunately in the playhouse of a lot of management of a lot of opera companies, you know, trying to, you know, squeeze as much out of young artists and, and people like that as possible. I believe one of the things they were complaining about and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I can't find it on the it's a long letter, but I believe some young artists weren't were not paid, um, which partially I think has to do with um, pandemic uh, difficulties. But uh, the. It, it's one of those things where in the contract, if it's in the contract, it's 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 arguable, it, you know. It does. It's like no one is in these sorts of things. No one is entirely right, and no one's entirely wrong. What I can say, and this is from talking to an, an anonymous source about this story, is that it's true. Apprentices were not paid for uh, performances that were canceled due to COVID over the summer 2022. Right? Like if a show's canceled, you just don't get paid. Now, well, it depends on what the contract says. Exactly. Yeah. And these were strange times in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And like, it's surprising that we're still figuring out like how we should make sure that these performances can go wrong. Obviously, no opera house wants to cancel a performance, wants to lose that that box office. I will say this. So 
the the woman that we we're talking about from Central City Opera who runs the organization, Pamela Pantos, former singer, right? Let me say this super clearly. If she was a man, no one would be complaining about her actions. I'm right? not sure that I, I don't think that that's true, George. Central, like, this is a company that has a reputation for being pretty hostile towards singers and people did complain they maybe didn't complain publicly but there was a whisper network where these complaints happened like a lot even under previous management so i'm not sure that i agree with that right but but surely the way that this is being handled though is like people are really really going for pamela pantos right now and and i don't know i mean yes she runs the organization but it feels quite personal it, it could be. I think some of the uh, online reaction has been very uh, personal. And, you know, I, I think it's very important, you know, uh, when you're talking about, you know, contract negotiations and union activity like this, I think it's very important to not to realize that a lot of these problems are baked into the company and it's very easily to easy to like personalize a system of problems into one person i don't know to what extent um there are some there are problems with her specifically um because i'm not that familiar with the inner workings um but i do know that it's very easy especially on the internet to be see like there are things going wrong that are objectively going wrong. It must be this person's fault. Whereas in reality, it's probably been baked in for a long time, for decades and decades. Matt, what we can agree on, you and I, is that it's not great that an online mob is kind of running this conversation right now, surely. I, but I, I, I also I take umbrage with the fact that you're calling it a mob. Like Agma sending out a missive to its members saying, we are trying to get a union contract and this company is not playing above board is not an online mob like yeah maybe it's devolved into that but but posting an open letter to to alert people who are in the union paying dues to support the union advocating on their behalf is not inciting a mob we know what inciting a mob looks like I we've seen I it that agree i didn't say inciting and that is exactly what agma is doing its job here but it feels like as you said this can devolve into the online mob and like you know is that the way the conversation should be happening? I, if the trade-off is that this conversation doesn't happen at all, and these companies exactly. are able to yeah. continue to abuse people who are desperate for credits and $200 to have a line on their resume, which is like what would have happened, all things considered, mm -hmm. if they had just quietly renewed their collective bargaining agreement without giving grist to this kind of mill, like... This to me feels like a mis. I hope is a miscalculation on Central City Operas, mm. but mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's hard to say how it's going to play out. Problems at Juilliard as well, also over sexual misconduct. Yeah, this one's uh, this one's uh, uh, a big. I encourage everyone to go check out this article, uh, George. If you could throw it on the website. Um, this is a, a very long, extensive article detailing specifically pretty much, I mean, a, a lot of it's about sort of the culture of like, you know, because most of these allegations happened in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, one of the main uh, perpetrators, um, uh, blanking on his name, uh, he, uh, Christopher Rouse, he actually died in 2019. Uh, so he is no longer really a living factor here. Robert Beezer is still uh, working at Juilliard, but he's no longer a department chair. 
Um, but the, the, the point of the article basically boils down to there are a lot of allegations against both of these men for various reasons, including inappropriate uh, uh, sexual you know, uh, relationships with, with students, um, lots of people who were rejected and they think it might be because they were uh, certain advances were not reciprocated, things like that, a lot of abuse of power stuff that we've unfortunately come to know too well. Um, but the greater thrust is more about how, you know, because most of these things happened now th almost 30 years ago, yeah. um, 20, 30 years ago, that um, a lot of this stuff was just kind of simmering in the background. And it was like a known thing if you were, you know, at Juilliard or had recently left Juilliard, but it was very normal, you know, and I I, th I feel like kind of a broken record on when we talk about these kinds of things. But, you know, these things do need to be brought to light and reckoned with so that, you know, these things don't happen again, because this, this is very much a situation where everyone who is affected, at least that we know of from this article, seems it seems to have been long ago enough so that there's not much to be done um, aside from put these things in place to keep it from happening again. The link um, to that will be on our website. So yeah. baritone Arthur Ruchinsky withdraws from the Mets production of Fedora. I had to look up who Ruchinsky was and who really? wrote Fedora. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But get this, more fool me because I went to the Mets website and it ain't working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I did the same thing. I'm like, who's replacing him? Don't know. The Met has been cyber attacked, folks. And, and uh, you know, this, this cyber attack is, you know, it could just be a random, you know, phishing scheme or whatever. No, it's Anna. <laughs> we all know. We all know it's Anna. <laughs> Getting her revenge. <laughs> She's weaponizing her army of fans. There has been some speculation that because the Met has been very outspoken against Russia's war in Ukraine, that it might have been targeted. Um, and unlike, say, the Pentagon or the National Power Grid, the Mets website, a little easier to hack. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I don't know if we can say that. As far as I can tell, that's completely like all, speculation. All the passwords are Nessendorma. So. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but uh, they're, they're still offline. And this, this broke now, what, three, four days ago? It's been uh, almost a week. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, so it's, right it's not ideal. Yeah. yeah. We'll give you an update on that story hopefully next week. So kudos to Lincoln Center uh, yeah, org cool. for helping cool. him out. But yeah. Some quick takes. Uh, Jochen Kowalski, one of the originals uh, who, you know, ventured into Handel Opera and recorded them. Um, so he's one of the first voices I have in my head for what a countertenor sounded like. Um, a very interesting artist. And yeah, it's he's now 68. So uh, we say goodbye to that era. Um, this San Francisco Conservatory, I think we talked about this uh, when... There was like this. Uh, I think it was when they gobbled up Opus Three Arts because yeah. that was just a couple months ago. Yeah. yeah. So we we should be following this story more carefully, but there is something a little bit icky about mm -hmm. there being a direct pipeline from a conservatory to artist management, which is notoriously mm -hmm. hard for people trying to get a start in their career. And uh, Opus Three and uh, is is one of the and Oxonus Holt are one of the you know the biggest most important agencies. Yeah, the biggest. And Where is San Francisco in. Conservatory getting this money? I know. I was teaching there. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is the yeah. Getty family funding this personally? Let's wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call to wrap things up. Matt Cummings, let's start with you because I feel like it's been a while. I mean, my good call is just getting to be back here with you gentlemen. Aww, and my back, bad baby. call is that Ashley is avoiding me. 
<laughs> yeah, two ships passing in the night. Weston Williams. Um, there's kind of an interesting article, at least maybe not so much for uh, for you guys uh, being actual professionals here, but uh, there's an interesting article in the New York Times uh, entitled What It's Like to Perform at the Met with No Opera Experience. And they're not talking about going up and singing Ness and Dorma or... Inquesta Reggio. Inquesta Reggio. It's not like that. It's basically an article about someone who uh, went in as one of the silent actors, the supers basically, uh, on the Met stage for the, the, uh, the last hurrah of the old Aida production. Uh, and it's a really kind of interesting take because you, you don't see it very often. And speaking as someone who's not a singer, who has not performed in an opera, um, I, I just find the idea of being up there on the stage really interesting, especially in a non-singing context. Um, and it's a it's it's worth uh, it's worth reading. It's a, it's it's really interesting. It it talks about the age of the production and some awkward things, costume pieces that they have to wear, right, right, uh, and right. and things like that. But also the procedure of it and the not getting in the way and not really knowing what's going on because you're coming you're not a singer. You know, it's it, it's it's worth reading. And there's some interesting uh, behind the scenes photos as well. Uh, so check that out. Oliver Camacho. Uh, two quick ones. Uh, one shout out to. White Lotus, no spoilers, uh, but it just concluded <laughs> yesterday as we were recording, and they used opera very intelligently. Uh, there's Puccini and uh, Purcell uh, throughout the last half of the season, and uh, parallels with Puccini heroines uh, with one of the main characters of the show, uh, which was very clever. Uh, I did notice, however, that uh, Omio Babino Caro was um, spliced, mm. and uh, they made it like an extra long aria by like uh, tacking on a one extra verse to it. And they needed somebody who was like an Italian language person to say, "No, you can't do that. It doesn't make any sense." But anyway, that's that's <laughs> nitpicking. Uh, my real good call is to Kelly O'Hara or Hera, um, who ran away with the hours she ran away with it heads and tails Broadway her baby. cast members it was a strong it's a strong performance she's from got everybody. chops i mean kyle kyle kettleson also best male performance in that show but she was such a stunning actress like there was not a dry eye in the house when i was in in the theater everybody around was crying just like me get for her performance it was so so stunning that's awesome. Hey, Matt, by the way, I finally watched Schmigadoon. It only took me a year. I still haven't finished it. So, oh, okay. Well, you should finish it. It's fine. I got a great call. Uh, Rick Morrissey, who's a sports uh, op-ed columnist in the Chicago Sun-Times, wrote a fabulous article about saying the World Cup is opera for the people. We'll put a link to it on our website. They, even, they, they literally like dropped it like when we like were I know, putting the show together. I know. Uh, <laughs> Morris even name drops the Barber of Seville in this article as well. Ooh. He ends up by saying, hey, look, opera isn't for everybody and neither is soccer. That's it for this week's edition <laughs> of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow. Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign. Send us your voice. Email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster and the lapel pin. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio editor is Weston Williams. For your co-host, Matt Cummings, and our guest, Giovanna Jacques, 
I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera while you check the VAR for penalty kicks. We're back with an all-new show next week. We go inside the huddle with baritone Graham Fondre, whose credits include singing the national anthem for the Pittsburgh Stillers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more opera houses in Morocco. Join us.